No helicopters have been procured for me to go to golf course. Thank you. I'm not saying he wasn't a great politician. I'm just saying he's a <laughs> How'd you play out there today? Uh, well, I found the conditions challenging. Mostly because there's no grass on the golf course. But there never has been. I'm thinking about swag I hope When you got three crevices on the green, your course is trash. What is happening, folks? Welcome back. First episode of 2022, Beltway Golfer Podcast. Alex Dixon here. Excited for the new year. We're halfway through winter. Golf season right around the corner. Got some things in the works. You know, I went down to the PGA show in Orlando a couple weeks back. I had a lot of nice conversations and met a lot of new folks. Pitched some ideas and partnerships and concepts. I think a couple things are going to come to fruition. Got a couple things I'm working on my own, so stay tuned. Excited for, for a few big things to come for myself, for Beltway Golfer, for the podcast in 2022. To kick us off, this is going to be episode 41. We've got the executive director of the Mid-Atlantic section of the PGA, mapga.com. You can find more information. John Gould. John has been uh, the leader of the Mid-Atlantic section of the PGA for over a decade. He's worked in golf in the region in D.C., Maryland, Virginia for most of his professional career. I first became aware of John on another golf show, the Capital Golf Gang, which can be found in, during golf season on local sports radio. Check your listings. Not sure if it's 980 or 570, but it's hosted by Steve Zabin. It is a podcast as well. John's a, a regular contributor to that show, so I've listened and, and, and heard his contributions before. So I was excited to meet him and, and get to learn more about the MAPGA. I came to this conversation, you know, as an outsider, which, which and, you know, I'm a fanatic of golf. I host this podcast. I know a little bit about local golf, but I really don't, you know, I'm not involved with PGA professionals other than interviewing some for the show and, and some interactions through lessons throughout the years. I was really, you know, not that well informed on, on how sections of the PGA support and their functionalities to support their membership, which is the PGA professionals. So it was cool to just ask a whole bunch of questions with John and, and learn about, you know, what they do year in, year out and how they support their membership and, you know, how they fit into the whole golf landscape of Maryland, D.C. and Virginia and golf. We did the conversation at their headquarters in Stafford, Virginia. They've got a cool setup down there. They've got a kind of a Hall of Fame of the Mid-Atlantic PGA. It's been around for several decades. And, you know, they've got some cool, you know, regional golf artifacts from PGA professionals throughout the Mid-Atlantic over the years. They've got walls uh, covered with all kinds of historical paraphernalia, plus plaques of all their historical winners of the, of the awards they hand out each and every year. It was cool to do it on site. You know, that, that's about it. Here, here it is. It's uh, episode 41. It's John Gould, again, the executive director of the Mid-Atlantic PGA. Enjoy. Here it is. All right, so we're out here at um, the Mid-Atlantic PGA headquarters in right. Stafford, Virginia, with the executive director of the Mid-Atlantic PGA, or the MAPGA, John Gould. Yeah. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. This is my first time in the offices, in the, in the headquarters. It's the first time you and I have officially met. Right. We've spoken in on the person. phone. Right. In person. Um, we passed each other. I think I noticed you at the PGA show last week, but we didn't. You, you were you were busy in meetings, so we didn't get a chance to talk. But um, but this place is this place is great. Thank you very much for for coming on the podcast. Um, you just gave me a tour of the offices. Um, 
So why don't we, why don't we start kind of with the basics? Sure. So I think a lot of this conversation, a lot of this, this interview and podcast will be kind of the, from the perspective of who I am, which is kind yeah. of an outsider, like a, a yeah. public course player who, um, until I kind of honestly started doing this podcast, I didn't know a whole lot about the Mid-Atlantic PGA. Certainly, you know, well-versed well in the PGA of America and, and what PGA professionals do, but well on the outside that I, there's so much I don't know. Sure. So let's start with the basics. Okay. Give, give us like a high level, like Mid-Atlantic PGA. What, what, what is your, you know, what is the functionality sure. of the Mid-Atlantic PGA? Yeah, the Mid-Atlantic PGA is an association, an association that's based on employment, like the American Bar Association or Medical Association. Our members happen to be golf pros. We are a subset of what you said, the National PGA of America. PGA of America, there's 28,000 members and associates throughout the country. In our section, uh, there's 1,100. So we're... We rotate between the seventh and eighth largest of the 41 sections, depending on, you know, time of year and people moving in and moving out. Um, uh, and we cover all of Maryland, Virginia, D.C., essentially. There's some puts and takes on the outside of, uh, of the edges there where over the years things have, you know, developed that way. Uh, we were incorporated in 1925. Uh, those of you uh, not in the room, I uh, can't see uh, behind the camera there, we've got uh, our past presidents back uh, dating back to 1925. Well, let's clarify one thing yeah. real quick. So, so your title is executive director. Correct. So you're, you are I am, a, you, I am a staff member. Not the president. Not, not a, and I'm not a PGA member. Some of my staff are. We have two staff that are PGA members. I'm yeah. not. You, if we play golf together, you'd figure it out pretty quickly. About a 10 handicap. Uh, so is, I'm not a PGA member. Is that member. by policy that the executive director is no, not? No. As a matter of fact, of the 41 sections and therefore 41 EDs, about 21 are members and 20 or not so it's right Got it. you know it, most of them the idea is let's hire the right person if they're pga great right they don't have to be i have a path i could earn membership if i was if i was a good enough golfer i'm not is seth wall the the, the seth, head of the head he, of pga he is, america he is the executive director ceo of the pga of america he's not a pga he's member. not okay yeah, he's an amateur as well so who not to i'm, I'm going to be interrupting a lot sure, there's gonna be a lot of fine. tangents so who is the current MAPGA president. The current president is Andy Weisinger, so he's not on the wall yet because this is all of our past presidents. Josh Tremblay is on the far end, uh, who's the head pro at Springfield, or director of golf at Springfield Golf Country Club. He just finished in November. Okay. Uh, so Andy Weisinger is at um, Langley Air Force Base, uh, uh, Eaglewood Golf Course in the Virginia Beach area. Sure. So he's our current president. He's on a different wall, not in here, because this it. is our wall of past presidents. Uh, yeah, so, um, and, and to back to our functionality, a mm -hmm. uh, lot like a trade association, we do a lot of membership type things. Uh, Christine Alonzo, in the other room who you met, is our membership director. So we keep track of their uh, uh, continuing education, recertification, that type of stuff, where they're living, where they're working, all that, of course, that's important. Uh, but because we're a golf association, uh, you walk back there, we have a full tournament department, both for junior golfers and for our section professionals. We have player development, where we're trying to help our pros grow the game, get more people playing the game. And, mm -hmm. you know, there have been a, a, a huge growth, unfortunately, because of the pandemic. But we've had a, a great number of uh, more golfers in, in the area and across the country. I've got, you know, business affairs. So that's sponsorships for us, as well as accounting, finance, that type of stuff. Um, you know, so and, and then I kind of manage all of that with with my great team here. So. Um, what, what I like to say is we're a trade association just like any other trade association. We do meetings and membership and continuing education like everybody else. Our members just happen to be golf pros, so we also add tournaments to the mix. Interesting. Yeah. Um, 
A lot of questions. So you said, uh, let me, let me, a couple basic ones. Yep. You said you've got about 1,100 uh, PGA professionals as yep. members in, yep. in the section. Yep. Uh, about how many golf courses are in the about section? About 450-ish. And we didn't clarify this. The section is Maryland, Virginia, D.C. Pr roughly, yeah. There's, like I said, that does it include West Virginia or Delaware? We have two courses in West Virginia, so that okay. really doesn't count. Uh, Delaware, we don't have any courses. We have uh, two courses now in Pennsylvania. Uh, we lose a couple courses down on the Virginia-North Carolina border to the Carolina section. So it's nothing you would ever plan. It's just, just the way curious, it evolved. I'm just curious, why, like, yeah, why, so, why, why would like two courses in Pennsylvania so and two courses in West Virginia? Those are appeals usually on a one-off basis. Uh, hey, you know, um, the, the courses are right above Baltimore and Pennsylvania, and they, their, okay. their uh, appeal would, would have been, and it's years ago, would have been something like this. Hey, I'm much closer to Baltimore than I am to Philadelphia. Yeah. My members all live in Maryland. Sure. Uh, my business comes from Maryland. I would like to be a member of the Millennium section. And then vice versa going the other way, you know, yeah. where we have actually um, uh, the courses in Northeast Maryland, Rising Sun mm -hmm. area. They're members of the Philly section. Well, same opposite argument. They're, most of their golfers come from Philadelphia. They're closer to Philadelphia than they are to our section office here at Stafford. You know, so we try, we are a membership organization. Mm -hmm. We're trying to do things as best we can for our members. So if that helps our members, then we try to do it. Now, if everybody said they wanted to move to a, another section, you know, we obviously, that would never happen. But, yeah. and, and, it's, and it's usually a, a question too of, is there anyone in between you and the border, right? So if you want to move, everybody has to move. You can't have like a isolated spot. Everybody, you know, you just change the border with a little, you know, circle. It's Got it. very convoluted, very, uh, you know, uh, red tape type of thing, but that's the way it happens. You not, not quite, <laughs> not quite like our, our voting maps in no, politics. But, no, but correct. But, um, so you said 400 and something courses, yep. 1,100 members. Yep. Um, do, do, do a lot of courses, and this is a, a naive question, but a lot of courses have more than one PGA professional? Yes. As a matter of fact, I would say most of our courses do. We have some, you know, private courses that are very busy in the Northern I would think Virginia. with that math, it would happen. Yeah, yeah, right. In the Northern Virginia, uh, Montgomery County, Maryland area particularly, but uh, where we have big private courses with big memberships, you might have five or six PGA members. Now, that doesn't mean that's pro staff. You know, that's the thing we got to clarify. The, the people on the staff are not all PGA members. Some of them might be young, not, not have gotten there. Some might be LPGA and therefore not PGA. There are, you know, there's about a... Um, 60, 70 female PGA members in our section, but there, and some of them are both dual, both PGA and LPGA, but there's also some women who are very good who are LPGA and not PGA. So everybody on the pro shop staff doesn't mean they're, they're PGA. They could have not gotten there yet, or they could be LPGA um, in that regard. See, I didn't know that. So yeah. I, I, you know, obviously the LPGA tour and the PGA tour Mm -hmm. Male and female. I was right. unaware that there was an LPGA, like a similar uh, yes, association. There's a. It's uh, they. They used to call it. I believe they've changed their name, and I should know better. But uh, it, it used to call it the teaching and coaching division. So they had okay. the tour division and teaching coaching. It's very small. I mean, if the PGA of America is twenty eight thousand, uh, and which includes men and women, the LPGA teaching coaching division might be a thousand or fifteen hundred. So it's not a huge number. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, essentially the same kind of training, uh, you know, same uh, playing ability test. Um, but, you know, a, a, I'm sure at some time you could not be a woman and, and be a member of the PGA of America. And I don't know the dates when that changed, but it was a long time ago. Um, so uh, that's why the LPGA kind of had their had their own thing. So, do you, you know, 1,100 members in the Mid-Atlantic section, um, are just about all of them at a golf course? Or some, I mean, I, I see just well, as an example, like there, these like 
you know, we can go back to when Dick Sporting Goods used right. to have one on staff. And right. nowadays there's a lot of like virtual golf, like, you know, not, you know, yeah. not non-traditional golf courses that have PGA members on staff. So the, the answer to your question, just about everybody at a course. Yeah, that's probably, I mean, we're not using any number here, but yeah, yeah just about everyone is a golf course. But we have uh, a significant subset now that is, you know, alter, you know, top golf is not a golf course, right? But it's pretty popular. Does, t does Top Golf hire PGA? Yeah, they do. They do. Okay. Yeah, they do. They do. And there's, I don't know, six or seven uh, now in our section that sure. we know about. Uh, and probably four or five of them have PGA professionals. And some of them have multiple. You know, one of them might be running the facility and one might be the teaching pro at the facility. Uh, but like you said, uh, uh, X-Golf, Five Iron Golf, um, you know, Golf Tech, uh, where these are not, you know, green grass. Well, so that's what sure. we phrase it. Green grass. Are you a green grass? That's a Got golf it. course. I see. Um, so actually, now that I uh, think about it, you know, just about everybody's probably the wrong term. Most are at, at Greengrass, mm. but there's a significant growing number at, at what I would call non-traditional uh, Greengrass facilities, but they're still golf. Is know? one of the functions of the Mid-Atlantic PGA um, uh, job placement once they, get, once they get become a PGA professional? Yes, so uh, th that is one of our functions. Uh, uh, we have an employment consultant from National, Greg Stenzel, who's a PGA professional, uh, who helps me. And yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's twofold. It's one is uh, visiting with the facility, mm -hmm. whether they're hiring an assistant pro, and that's generally when they're hiring an assistant pro, we're working through the head PGA professional. But if they're hiring a management position, head professional, general manager, director of golf, we meet with the facility, kind of talk about what they're looking for, what this person will look like, and not physically, but sure. what skill set, what, what background they should have. And then we uh, go out to our members and say, here's, here's what the job is, here's the compensation, here's what they're looking for. And, uh, and try to you know, get, them, get the right people to apply for that job. Because it does help us. It's a, it's a service. We don't charge. Yeah. Uh, there, there's one function we charge for if they want us to actually do the search for them. Mm -hmm. Generally, we're there to help them search. We don't charge because it's a member service to our professionals that the clubs know the right way and go through this correct process. Gotcha. There are companies out there, headhunters, that will say, no, you, know, you pay me, I don't know how, what they charge, but you know, it's it's probably forty or fifty thousand dollars, and I'll find the right person for you. Sure. And what do they do? They 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 get it from a list of people who pay them to be on this list. Right. right? So right. it's not necessarily this list. Yeah. But yes, employment is part of the equation as well. Um, so next question related to that. So at the at the PGA show, I, yeah. I got a chance to I walked through the area where they have the the PGA management programs. Yep. They're probably getting the college title program. wrong. Yep. The college programs, but there's yep. twenty universities and colleges around the right. country. Right that have programs that you essentially can major in Correct. professional so, golf management, right? Right, right. Professional golf management, you got that right. PGM schools. PGM schools, call them. okay. Yep. And so, but the, the one in this section is University of Maryland Eastern Shore. Correct. So I, 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 talk, I forget the gentleman's name, but I talked to them a little while down there. Uh, that was Billy Dillon, probably. Try to ha get them on a, on a podcast to learn more yep. about their section. But where I'm going with that is, you know, again, without you know, hard numbers, like what percentage of PGA professionals, professionals go through that school or go through one of those programs, I should yep. say, to become a member. And, you know, ballpark, is there an average age when somebody becomes, well, like, is everybody starting like a college age? Well, no, and, and that's, but that is changing the number. So uh, I, to your first question, about half of our new members go through the PGM program okay. uh, the, at the colleges. Actually, we need to call it PGM university programs because the other program is called the PGM program, Professional Golf Management, where you just, you start working at a club, you go to, we have some uh, online classes and some classes in person, you test out of that. So that, that's what, that's, so those are all called associates when they're going through 
they become their associate. You used to call them apprentice. Mm-hmm. As associate until you become you to you earn your membership. And it's about take anywhere from three to six years when you do it on your own. Obviously, when you do it in college, should take you <laughs> let's hope four years. Uh, and they do internships every uh, summer uh, in between the semesters, and one of them has to be nine months. So it's actually a four and a half year program because you're using one of the semesters to, to do your internship. Um, so that has changed the average age. We still have a lot of second career folks. Mm-hmm. They might be a teacher or a police officer for the first half of their career, and they say, I want to work in golf, and they become a PGA professional. Uh, and then obviously, if, if half of the new members are coming in through college, you know, if they do it right, they can graduate or they can be get earn their membership upon graduation. So let's call them 22, 23 years old. And then you got the second career guys or, and, and gals. So, you know, the average age is probably all over the map. Interesting. Yeah. So what about, we, I mean, we don't have to get into all the, all the specifics, but like you said, um, if you're not going through the PGM program or mm-hmm. university, four to six years. Yep. So like, just give us kind of a, a high level overview of, of what that process you know, you gave the example, maybe, maybe you're a police officer, you're retired, you're going yeah. into your second profession. Walk us through that process. Sure. Of becoming and and a, it is the same process in, for the college. It's just compacted because they sure. take their classes in college, right? But yes, uh, good question. Uh, so essentially, first step is pass a playing ability test. Uh, and that is roughly, uh, assuming the course rating is close to 72, it's two rounds. So it's two times the course rating plus 15. So if you think if a, if a course uh, par is 72 and the course rating is 72, which is not always the case, you got to shoot about 15 over par in two rounds. So call it 79, 80-ish. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and usually most of those players can shoot 79 or 80 in their sleep. Until you can you, choose any course you want? Or they no, only, no, they only we, have no we have it at certain, we, we, sure. we yeah. run them at certain places. Okay. So as I was saying, you could, you, they probably shoot 79 or 80 in sleep, but we're telling you, you have to shoot two rounds of 79 or 80 or you cannot continue with your career. And then the pressure starts, right? Sure. It's not a triple, tip, typical competition where I'm trying to beat and you. And it's on this date at this yes, course. Yes, it's on this date. It's 36 holes consecutively, 18 holes one in the morning, day. 18 holes one day in the afternoon. And you're not playing against me if you and I are playing together. You're playing against a score. You know, so you, it's, it's different, right? Because you're playing, okay, well, I'm going to just try to make par in every hole. I'm going to hit iron off every tee. You know, I'm going to hit to the middle of the green. You think differently, and you're also thinking about your career. So mentally, and that's the first step. That's well, it's it, it, yes, it's the first step. But what we do is, if you uh, you can start the process after you've taken the first test and and get the and get the score at a later date. Got it. But yeah, yeah, that's fundamentally the what first a, step. What about ballpark? Uh, what percentage of people taking the the, the playing playing ability test? Yeah. Um, get that number on the on the first try. Uh, on the first try, that's even a harder number. But I would say uh, the pass rate is about ten percent. Oh wow! Yeah, on each one. Now, so, so people first, pe- in general, people are overconfident in their games. Uh, yeah, yeah, and and we get some people who don't belong there and are just, sure. uh, hey, I can play two rounds for uh, for this price and <laughs> they just want to play. Just want to play. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and and if you're paired with one of those men or women that's that's a tough yeah, tough you're, road you're, but you're, you're angry. Um, so anyway we're getting back to the process so mm-hmm. we, we, we got to take a playing ability test got to pass it before we become a member mm-hmm. uh, and then it's it's basically what we call three levels uh, and it used to be that you got these armful of books that were this thick right now it's all online but um, you essentially um, you, you, you take online courses you go to Florida now it'll move to Texas when our, our national office opens in Frisco uh, and uh, you attend a seminar for a week, uh, and then you come back and you take a test. And you can take the test 
at anywhere, they basically have farmed them out through like Sylvan Learning Centers and those type of things where, so you don't have to take the test there. Once you take the test, you pass level one, you go to level two. Re repeat the process, come back, take the test, pass level two, go to level three, repeat that process. When you graduate, when you finish level three, you pass that, those tests at the end, you are now a PGA member and you're employed at a PGA facility and you've passed the, P the PAT test. Got it. So that's why it takes so long and you know most of these they have to be working in the golf industry while they're doing that. So this is you know that's why it's a little bit easier at university. You don't have a, that is your job to yeah. go through the PGM program in college. When you're working a job probably 50 or 60 hours a week and you're trying to get all this done you know on your off time, mm -hmm. that's what stretches it out to 3 to 6 years. And that's a key point. So not just anybody like the like the police officer as the example, you right. can't just do it in their spare time. You've got to already be in the golf industry. And, Correct. And, they're, I mean, they're changing that slightly that, that you don't have to be maybe uh, all the way in yet. But yeah. yes, you have to be working in the golf industry. Interesting. Yep. Let me transition from that. Let, let me ask you um, about John Gould. So, for, so mm -hmm. first off, um, uh, your, your title, you're the executive director. What, what are the roles and responsibilities of the executive director of the Mid-Atlantic PGA? Well, uh, I'm, I'm obviously primarily responsible to our board of directors and, and uh, where uh, they want us to head. Uh, but essentially, I'm, uh, I, call them, I call myself the head staff puke, right? So I, I'm, I'm uh, charged with managing our staff and uh, all of the areas that we talked about earlier that we're doing. So I work with Christine on membership. I work with Bob on tournaments. I work with Talton on our junior golf, you know, Claire with our player development, uh, you know, kind of coaching them all through it. Uh, certainly staff development, like any person would do, making sure they're... Uh, uh, learning and, and developing and you know maybe getting a, a job that's bigger than what they have now uh, managing the finances uh, uh, certainly uh, helping with sponsorships uh, you know I'm the liaison with our national PGA uh, so it, it's really kind of all-encompassing everything we do doesn't mean I do everything but I'm responsible for for everything that, that, that goes on at the office uh, what a little bit about your background. So tell, tell it how you know. What, sure. What, give me give me your history in golf. What le what led you to become the executive director? Of the sure. Uh, so I would say I went to college at William and Mary, not too far away, Williamsburg, uh, and um, I had a, was getting major in finance, and I worked for a bank one summer, uh, every day, going to a bank, uh, and realized I can't do this, <laughs> cannot do it. And I had actually started working. I played baseball. I uh, got cut as a freshman and, and I wanted to stay involved. So I started working for the athletic department at William & Mary and loved it. You know, it was like one of those things. I, I looked forward to going to work after classes because I loved doing what I was doing. And I always kind of knew that that was something I wanted to do. Uh, I did an internship in between my senior year of college and grad school at the Virginia State Golf Association in mm -hmm. Richmond. Uh, golf Administration 101, you know, learn how to run tournaments, learn on the rules, all that stuff. It was a great internship. Uh, it's called a P.J. Boatwright internship that the USGA offers through all the state golf associations. Loved it. Loved my time there. Uh, went to grad school, University of Massachusetts, Amherst, sports management, one of the top two country schools in the country. I would say number one, but some people argue that it's top two, along with Ohio University. Um, and got into college athletics out of there. Worked at UMass. Coach Calipari was there when I was there, so I was uh, on the marketing team for, for that, plus football and hockey, but it was mostly, you know, basketball was good. Uh, and then went to University of Louisville, uh, Denny Crum, Howard Schnellenberger, worked for those uh, legends. Uh, and while I was at Louisville, the Virginia State Golf Association, where I'd worked, uh, basically called me, because I, I don't think we had email at the time. I, I think they called me and said, um, hey, we're, we're doing, we've got this job open. We'd like you to apply. And it was a, 
it's for the handicap program, you know, the golf handicaps. And uh, it was a, it, we co-own that with the Virginia State Golf Association, the Mid-Atlantic PGA and the VSJ. So it was a job for that both organizations were on a committee hiring for one employee that was going to work for the joint operation that was mm-hmm. called the Virginia Handicap Program at the time. And I interviewed and didn't get it, but what I didn't realize is that the, the MAPGA was looking for a few more employees as well. Uh, and from that interview for a different job, they offered me a job here uh, as at the time it was called assistant director of operations. My boss, at the, or my predecessor to this job was hired from the same process. He also interviewed for that joint job, got hired as the director of operations. A year later, he was the executive, became executive director. I became the assistant executive director. Uh, name is Dick Johns, the Skull. Uh, worked for him for 16 years. The Learned, skull, is that his nickname, oh, the Skull? Yeah. Yes, yes. If anybody <laughs> on this... Uh, watching the, the, well, you got to give us the background on that. How, how do you get the nickname of Skull? So he was a military officer, uh, colonel in the Army, lieutenant colonel. No, colonel, I guess, at the end, uh, and um, was a Corps of Engineer guy. So they were, thought they were going to get this engineer dude who's had a pencil protector and all that stuff. And he basically ran his guys into the ground. And uh, uh, so they would always say, oh, you don't want to go see the Skull, man. Because he's bald, too. You know, so, gotcha. yeah, but anyway, so uh, uh, worked for him for 16 years here. Uh, and then he retired. And uh, this is year number 11 for me uh, as year executive 11. director. Oh, wow. so year 27 wow. since I've been here. I started in 1995. Congratulations. Wow. Yeah. Quite a career. And what, what about golf specifically? Have you always been a golfer? Uh, Yes. I mean, I've never been great. Uh, I played on my high school team, you know, uh, well, actually three years. My senior year, I said, I've, I've had enough of golf. I'm, I'm done. Uh, and then went to college at William & Mary, and um, there was one course, Deer Run, that you could play for reasonable price. But everything around, if you think about the courses in Williamsburg, Golden Horseshoe, Kings Mill, Forts Colony, way out of my price range. So mm-hmm. I only played when I came home. My parents were members at Evergreen Country Club. Uh, in Haymarket, so I only I didn't play that much because I only played when I came home. Uh, and then, like, there's no the students at William and Mary, they, they don't have ac- do they have there's no discount or access to not, some of those. I resorts? mean, there might be now. There right. wasn't back, wasn't then. back then. No. Uh, so uh, and then you know, obviously, when I got this job, I kind of got back into it, played a lot more. I, pl- I, pl- I played way more before I had kids, which is sure. probably a story for a lot of people. Uh, so, um, so one of the roles you you mentioned was you know sponsorships um, and that sort of thing. And I'm kind of curious, we mentioned the PGA show uh, in Orlando, which was just last week. I was there as well. Um, So what are you doing down there? Yeah, so, well, first of all, we had two days of executive director meetings where we're just going over stuff from national, some of the things that we're working, sharing best practices. But primarily my time at the show is uh, is selling sponsorships. Uh, We have uh, many of our staff are down there. There was three other of our staff down there um, doing the same thing. And, yeah, so there's a, you know, a relationship, and that's all golf manufacturers pretty much at sure. the show, and they're trying to sell their product. And who can sell, help them sell their product? Our professionals are the ones sure. that, that help them sell. And I've had many of my pros say, hey, I, I don't care what the product is. I'll get my members to buy it if I just tell them, hey, you've got to try this out. You know, hey, that club that you're interested in, it sounds good, but wait till you see this club. Or mm-hmm. that ball that you, you want, want yeah. you have to try this one. So, yeah. Um, Obviously, so there's a business relationship there that they want to get in front of our members and pitch their product and why it's the best product and why they should convince their members or their patrons in a, at a public golf course. What are you offering them? Like, how are they, how are, you know, let's say I'm 
a startup golf gadget company right. and I want to sponsor the MAPGA, right. is, is, am I getting in front of your members through tournaments or through? Well, it, it, we have multiple things. So yeah, that's ex you know, tournaments is one of them. We have uh, chapter uh, and section meetings where they might even actually have some speaking time. Most of them want kind of want the combination. They want to be able to market to them directly. So that's emails and mm -hmm. Facebook posts and that type of stuff. They want to have some FaceTime. Sure. So that could be a tournaments. We put them on a par three and they can do a little contest at the par three. Uh, they want to, you know, show their product. So if they're a shirt company or a ball company, they might give out product to our professionals at the event. Uh, so, you know, we call it shirts on backs, but sure. it, it might be golf ball. So, yeah. you know, different, different. Is stores. that where your most of your operational budget comes from? These sponsorships? Well, most of our tournament budget. So that's kind of the quid pro quo that our our companies understand is that if they sponsor us. Those, that money is going to end up in our pros' hands because they play for it. Most of our operational budget, which I call non-tournament stuff, is from the handicap program that I mentioned that we that we co-own with both Virginia State and Maryland State, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, we we have membership dues that our members pay, and then we get money from national. It's called Association Development Program, but. ADP, we, we get some money from national, from like the national TV contracts, for sure. example. We get a little, very small, very, very small, yeah. but we get a piece of that too. Um, I, 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 these things you keep mentioning, I've, like I have questions sure. in so many, I, mean, I have questions in different directions. Yeah. I'm like, okay, where, you know, where yeah. should I take this? Um, you know, one of the things that, oh, I'm trying to figure out which, which way to go because I'm, I'm afraid they'll lead me down a different rabbit hole. Huh? But one, one of the things I'm curious about, and I'll just jump to it, is um, you, um, the PG of America just signed a big deal with Congressional Country Club. Yeah. Big deal. Big deal. I mean, yes. we're talking Ryder Cup, we're talking PGA Championship, we're talking this June, the LPGA Championship. The women's Championship, yep, KPMG, um, Women's PGA. Talk, yep. talk me through that. Are you involved in that, or is that just the National PGA no, of America? We are. Uh, I mean, it's, certainly it was done by National, and they, they're the ones who own the rights to those tournaments. Uh, I can't remember if it's, I think it's nine events in the next 16 years, something yeah. like that, maybe 10. Uh, and yeah, we're going to be involved heavily. Um, Primarily, uh, each event will be the ones running the driving range. That's kind of the, the section responsibility. But we're also involved from a player development point of view. Uh, so what we're talking about currently with the women's PGA uh, is, you know, some kind of, uh, you know, kid zone that, that we'll run. Uh, you know, we might bring one of our inflatables. We have this blow-up, uh, uh, we call it Golfzilla. Yeah. It's like 30 feet tall, and it's got these special balls that get in the air easily so kids get hooked on golf. Mm -hmm. That's kind of... What that thing is, so um, yeah, so we'll we'll be involved uh, all the way through 37, where the, mm -hmm. where the Ryder Cup is, in in uh, you know being inside the ropes, doing the driving range, uh, maybe some other um, things the week prior, you know, whether it's with sponsors or media, um, that type of thing. So it's it's really cool for us to to have that. Uh, you know, I wish the PGA in 31 and the Ryder Cup in 37 were this decade, mm -hmm. not the right. next one, but sure, right. but uh, you know, because it's a long away. time to wait, but. Yeah, so women's PGA is this year. We've got the senior PGA in a couple years, both the boys and girls junior, uh, the National Club Pro, which is really exciting for me in 28 or 29, uh, which we will be way more involved because it's our club pros. Uh, um, you know, and then the, oh, the 31 PGA, there's a second women's, a second senior in there, and then the 37 Ryder Cup. The, so. the Club Pro Championship, for those that, that, that don't know, I, you know, I only became really familiar with it in the last few years. Um, but so it's it's the national tournament of all the PGA professionals, and, and correct? Correct. So I'm going to go into that whole thing for you. Okay. Uh, so we all have section championships. There are 41 section championships, and okay. based on the size of the field, you get X number of spots into the national championship. Okay. Uh, we normally have 10 or 11 spots, and, and every past champion is exempt, so we have two or three past champions 
exempt. Uh, so let's say we send 14 of our PGA professionals uh, to the national championship. That's usually held in April, late April. Mm -hmm. uh, it's on the Golf Channel, so it's great to watch our, our guys, men and women. Joanna Coe, uh, one of our female pros, has made it the last several years. Um, and from that national championship, certainly winning is a big deal. The winner gets 75 grand, I think, a Rolex, and six exemptions into a PGA Tour events. Uh, but the top 20 make it to the PGA Championship. Uh, and Larkin Gross uh, was our player of the year for the section last year, won our section championship. He's an assistant professional at Springfield. He won mm -hmm. our assistant professional championship. Great player. Uh, came in fourth in the National Club Pro. It advanced and played at the PGA Championship in Kiowa. Uh, and he also played in some of our winter events down mm -hmm. at PGA headquarters. And he just recently got named PGA Player of the Year, PGA Professional Player yeah. of the Year, which is a great accomplishment. Uh, uh, only the second one of our PGA professionals from our section to ever win that. Um, so we're super how, proud of I'm just curious, how is that award? Is that just for, you know, is the naive, the, me yeah. thinking is like, well, he came in fourth, why did he win the award? Well, yes, yeah, so, <laughs> correct. Uh, it's it's, it's, it's uh, uh, all the club pros in the country, right? Mm. They get points for winning section events, like okay. our section championship being our section player of the year. Uh, there's points for playing, you know, obviously the club pro, national club pro is our biggest. So it looks at a cumulative but, performance. But it's, it's a points performance, yeah. And so I'm not sure that there, there was a, a guy who had a lot of points who ended up qualifying for the Latin American tour. Mm -hmm. So as soon as he's qualified, he's out of the picture, sure. you know, so that he might've been one of the guys who finished first, second or third in the, in the club pro. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's a point system and it kind of ebbs and flows and yeah. he, he won it. Does, is any of this stuff helpful? Like the, the fact, I mean, uh, obviously it is to some degree, but I'm, I guess I'm curious how, like, you know, the, the having um, uh, big time tournaments here, yeah. like the ones that are going to be a congressional yeah. and even, uh, even the um, uh, Wells Fargo that's going right. to be ha happening yeah. at Avenel, or, you know, the, uh, someone from this section winning um, that award is, are, is the mid-Atlantic section, are you maybe competing is the wrong word, but you know, I'd imagine not all 1,100 PGA professionals in this section are from this section. So are you almost like re recruiting or are you competing uh, with other sections to get certain PGA professionals to come uh, here? I, I don't it, think so from there. Now, you know, if you ask the 40 other executive directors, including me, we're all competing against each other in one way or the other. Like who's going to be the best? Uh, we happen to be the best at getting our members to re return their employment survey, for example. Uh, certainly when there's 20 people who make the PGA championship and four of them are from the Met section, New York City area, they hold that over us, right? Yeah, you know, so we, we compete, very friendly competition and stuff like that. Uh, the, to the argument that we're, we're competing for assistant pros to come here, probably not, because that's, you know, what kind of facility am I going to? What's my compensation? What's my, more and more, what's my work-life balance? Yeah. Uh, you know, those types of things that are way more important than if your section had the player of the year. Now, we're known as a section that's got a very good tournament program mm -hmm. and good players. You know, I would argue that probably the Mets section has the best players based solely on the number of professionals that make it to the mm -hmm. National Club Pro and make it to the uh, PGA Championship every year. But even so, it was the PGA of America that, that signed the deal with Congressional. Yeah. But let's take, um, you know, just the, the, the Wells Fargo that's happening right. at TPC Avenue. Right. Like, are you... Are you campaigning with the national office to try to get more events in your section? Is it, or it, like, well, does, like aside from it just being really cool well, that's and being the PGA Tour, so a completely sure. different organization. Sure, it's okay. really cool for us. It's also revenue because we run the 
the qualifiers for uh, that. So there's okay. a pre-qualifier the week before, and then the Monday qualifier, the Monday of those tournaments, where people pay to get the spots. You know, I think the uh, the pre-qualifier, we're going to essentially have 156 players, and the top 40 make it to the Monday qualifier. Mm -hmm. The Monday qualifier, we have 90 playing for four spots. But those people pay entry fees, and we get to collect a portion. Some of it goes to the PGA Tour. Some of it goes to us. So, you know, it's a lot of work when yeah. you start with that. But it does create revenue that eventually gets in the hands of our PGA professionals. They're going to play for that money sure. eventually. So, yes, will we like more of those? Yeah. We, yeah. Absolutely. The women's PGA and the and the you know all the events at Congressional don't add any money to our pockets necessarily because it's mm -hmm. not we don't run qualifiers for those right those are major championships, uh, but it's great PR. It's great for the growth of the game. You know, anytime you know I didn't mention that in one of our functions. I think I did when I mentioned Claire player development, but we want more people playing golf. That's better for everybody. Mm -hmm. It's better for your podcast. It's mm -hmm. better for our business. It's better for our pros business. It's better for the corporations that support us in terms of sponsors. Sure. You know, so anything we can do, anything that helps golf uh, yeah. grow is better for us. To that end, I'm kind of curious, and, and the, the way I'm kind of thinking of this is, okay, the, the Mid-Atlantic PGA is the association for the PGA professionals, obviously. Yep. The, the v, like the VSGA and yep. the MSGA, the Virginia State Golf Association, Maryland Golf Association. amateurs. The, yep. Those are for the guys like me. That you know the yep, the, the, the amateur the, the, the amateur amateur weekend warriors. Yep. How how do you how do you work with those two organizations? Well, we work very closely with both of them, and there's some other allies as well. The Middle Atlantic Golf Association, which, which excuse me, gets confused with us because we're the Middle Atlantic PGA. Uh, so, a couple things. One, I originally talked about the handicap program. So our pros in the '70s started the handicap program. Um, as a matter of fact, they. Uh, they went to the amateur association and said, this centralized handicapping, this is a good idea. We should do it. We want you to be involved. And both of them said, not interested. We're, we're, we're too involved with private clubs. Uh, we don't think this is, you know, uh, uh, handicaps at uh, a public golf this is just We're just talking about getting amateurs handicaps. Yes, the As actual in, like, so, number, uh, so, you know. So before the zero. 70s, amateurs didn't have handicaps? Well, they or? did it on their own. There okay. was no centralized computerized thing, or the okay. club did it at, at the club level. Okay. So uh, our pros started it, and they said, tell you what, I know you're not interested. We're going to do it, but we're going to share half the revenue with you. Because they were, it was great forethought. A guy named Bill Deck from Baltimore and Bill, Coach Bill Strasbaugh from Columbia Country Club were two of the primaries involved. Uh, so we've been sharing revenue with them ever since. Now, technically, the handicap system is owned by the Amateur Golf Association through the license through the USGA. So they are technically now the owners, but we, they still share the revenue with us because we're the ones who started it back in the 70s. It yeah. wouldn't be where it is without. So that's a, a, obviously a big one. Um, I got to uh, look that up. I didn't even know there was an Amateur Golf Association. Yeah, the, the United States Golf Association. Oh, okay. So then, uh, yeah. uh, the, yeah. We're talking about the USGA. Yeah, correct. Correct, USGA. I thought, there was, I, thought, or, I thought it was an AGA I needed to know. No, no. Was, well... <laughs> Get real technical here. The, the USGA calls all of their state golf associations allied golf associations, AGAs. Got it. Uh, okay. And, and some of them doesn't mean that there's not 50. i got to get my acronyms down. Right. There's like 70, right? You would think there'd be 50 each state. But, you know, North Florida, Florida has North Florida Golf Association and South Florida. Right. You know, we have Maryland State, Virginia State, but also Middle Atlantic Golf Association. There used to be, a, or there's still a Washington Metropolitan Golf Association. There's a couple of ladies, uh, the Women's District Golf Association. So they're not all allied golf associations anymore. They've cut that number down to 70 or something like that. Uh, so re regardless, you know, there's a lot of acronyms, as you sure. said. Uh, so we work together on uh, some the tournaments. The, uh, the Virginia State Open 
uh, is, uh, or actually State Open of Virginia, is co-owned by the Mid-Atlantic PGA and the VSGA, as is the Senior uh, Open of Virginia, and we're working on a Women's Open of Virginia. So those are all actually shared uh, mm -hmm. ownership. Uh, Maryland State owns the Maryland Open, but we help them run, run the Maryland Open, uh, you know, provide, help provide rules officials, that type of thing. We uh, do, with both associations, we do rules seminars that we co-run. Mm -hmm. uh, so some of our rules officials, including me, and some of their rules officials will present rules seminars. We didn't do them last year, obviously, because of COVID. But we're hoping to get back to that this year. You know, you talk about the, the, the Virginia State Open, for mm -hmm. instance, and the, and, the, and the Senior State Open. Um, so you, you have a pretty extensive list. I was looking at the tournament list on the, on the MAPGA website. Mm -hmm. So most of your tournaments are for the PGA professionals. Correct. Are those the two, the state, the Virginia State Open and the, and the Senior State Open, are those the only two that uh, an amateur can play in that, that you're involved in? Uh, well, besides junior golf, right? Junior we have golf, an extensive okay. junior golf schedule that is all amateurs, obviously. Sure. Uh, we also have a pro scratch, which is a pro with a scratch handicap amateur. Uh, we used to have a pro net, which was obviously a pro with an amateur with their handicap. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't as popular uh, because, you know, People don't want to deal. I'm sure. What is what is the benefit? Like, if you're a PGA professional, mm -hmm. and you know, you, there's a there's a bunch of tournaments you can play in, right. you know, regionally through the section. Aside from you know, you obviously love golf and you want to stay competitive and be as good as possible, and maybe mm -hmm. get to a level that maybe Larkin Gross just right. achieved and, right. and playing the the, the the PGA Championship. Is there you know is there, like what are some like why like what are some of the benefits for them? Well, yeah, certainly. Uh, you know, we we hope to provide a little bit of money for them, right? That they can they can win, so that you can add to your. Income. Oh, so there is like a, a purse. Yeah. Oh, there's uh, a purse for every event. That's what the sponsors do. You know, so yeah. it's not big. You know, I'm. We're I don't probably, know why I didn't realize that. Yeah, that we're probably talking. You know, on tour, you know, they win 1.5 million when they win. For us, they might win two grand. You know, okay. maybe it's in between a thousand and two grand. Still, you know, it's better than a sharp stick in the eye, but it's mm -hmm. not. You know what you what you see on TV. Sure. Uh, so all the sponsors out there, you know, please send us some some money to, for these guys to play for, <laughs> guys and gals to play for. But um, so that's that's one. You know, certainly it's camaraderie and networking, which is a yeah. big part of it. You know, to just know their fellow their peers, what's going on. What I, I actually have meetings with our uh, professionals throughout the winter. We call them town hall meetings. And what exactly what happens is, what I say is, uh, hey, Coke and Pepsi don't share their secrets on why they're doing well or why they're not doing well. But our golf pros do. Mm -hmm. Like they'll literally get together and say, "Hey, what what uh, what soft goods worked for you well this year? Hey, what 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 uh, you know what uh, member guest tea gifts were great for you?" So the tournaments kind of turn into networking events. Yeah, uh, exactly. You know, it's certainly you know skill development, whether it's a younger player or an older player. You know, just keeping your skills sharp. It's credibility for your teaching. You know, hey, I just finished fifth in the section championship, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, you want to take a lesson from me because you know I. I I, I did Are most of the, the club professional tournaments um, open to the public? You know, do you get many fans? We don't get many fans. We get yeah. families. We get yeah, moms sure. and dads, girlfriends, boyfriends, sure. you know, kids sometimes. Yeah. Uh, we don't, we, they are, but, you know, yeah. we don't, don't, don't get many people there. Interesting. Yeah. Um, learning a lot here. Um, so a couple things. One, I want to transition. So um, we're doing a podcast here. Uh, you've got some experience with a podcast. We, we, we talked about this on the phone that, yeah. you know, you're, you're not heavily involved, but uh, the Capital Golf Gang. 
Right. Uh, run, uh, hosted by Steve Zabin Steve and, Zabin, and, and, a, and a few right. other guys. Yeah, Ron Thomas, who's an amateur golfer who uh, owns a medical supplies company, but I call him the mayor of amateur golf. He plays in a bunch of... Uh, he, he just got a membership at a Virginia club, so now he plays in MSGA and VSGA clubs. John Ronis, uh, who was the director of instruction, now the director of golf at um, sure, River Creek. Sure, yeah. Uh, and then Zabe and I, we, we usually, uh, the four of us uh, will meet at Golfdom. Mm -hmm. uh, so occasionally Buddy Christensen, the owner of Golfdom, will, will fill in when one of us can't make it. Uh, and we do a weekly golf show, I would say, you know, roughly from the Masters to the end of the PGA Championship. Sure. Uh, Lord football rules on that radio station. So <laughs> as soon as football season starts, we got to get out. But Zabe's been great about making it into a podcast. So even yeah. when it's not, is it still on? Been, it was on. It was sorry. It was on 980. It was on ESPN 980, yeah. and then it moved to 570 briefly. Okay. Uh, and it's now. Is it's it still, still on the radio or just a podcast? It, it, it is during the season. When we okay. do it in the winter, it's just a podcast. Got it. Yeah. So it's fun. You know, I love. You know, Zabe is so good. You know, I'm struggling right now when I can't think of a word and stuff like that. And he <laughs> just doesn't. You, you don't yeah. have the ability to have that luxury. That you can't think of a word. When no, I mean he's a, he, he's a pro. I mean, yeah. I, you know, I've I've been doing this for two years, and I'm just you know, figuring it out as I go along. But Zabin right. Zabin's been a radio guy for right. so since so he kid. makes it easy because he sure. gets us in and out of breaks, just asks questions and gets out of the way, lets us talk and maneuvers us through. You know, for a while there, we were doing a lot of it virtually because we couldn't get together. So mm -hmm. and and still he made that so smooth. Uh, so it's been an honor. It's been fun to do. Uh, we talk about golf. We we get into some good subjects. Um, you know, it's 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 been a cool process for me to just be part of that. Yeah. Uh, if anyone that hasn't checked it out, yeah, the Capital Golf Game. You know, it's it's it's, it's I've, I've, I'm I'm a listener. Yeah. Um, you know, and I and I started listening back when when it was um, certainly on, on 980. Uh, a little bit different than this. It, you know, there's you got you guys have a lot more fun. It's kind of it's almost like just. You know what's going on in golf, shooting the breeze. Yeah, um, it's 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 four guys in a bar. We're not in a yeah, bar, but it's sure. it's it's essentially what the conversation would be if it's four golf nuts in a bar, and you're talking about golf. You know, yeah. so you know you comment on, you know, what the tour guys are doing, what's going on locally. You know, uh, yeah. what's what's happening in instruction for for John Ronis's case. Uh, yeah, so it's been a yeah. lot of fun. Oh, that's cool. Um, the other one of the other reasons I wanted to bring it up is you know you and I first talked because there's a you know your big um, annual meeting. Do you call it a winter meeting? Uh, spring meeting. Spring meeting. The spring yep. meeting is coming up, and within that spring meeting, um, there's an awards banquet, and yep. and and you guys were um, kind enough to 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 award this podcast and myself um, the Earl Helen Sports Media Award, yep. which which Capital Golf Gang won last year. Correct. Yeah. So did you get to, did you get you know nope. were you part of that? Is that <laughs> so we we honored the other three guys, uh, okay. and that was actually the year we didn't get have get to have a banquet, unfortunately. Oh, really? So. They, they, they came to our spring meeting, but the banquet was afterwards, and that was right when COVID hit, and we, we ended up postponing and then eventually canceling the banquet. But your check cleared, so thanks for paying us to, <laughs> to award you the, uh, the Sports Media Award. Uh, no, we're happy to have you. I mean, I, we, I had to go in the hole. To that's it. right. I mean, we love people that promote golf, right? And that's sure. what we have a few. Most of our awards are for our professionals. We have a few awards that are for amateurs, Sports Media being one of them. We have a Citizen of the Year. We have some... Uh, salesperson of the year that mm -hmm. can or cannot might might or might not be a PGA member, um, and yeah, so we're we're honoring those people on Sunday night, February twenty seventh at Lansdowne Resort, kind of a black tie uh, optional affair. Doesn't have to be. Most people will be in coat and tie, um, but it's really a celebration of sure. golf. We we try to get our pros there. We try to get their 
their bosses, their members there to just appreciate, you know, all the great things that are going on in golf uh, in all different categories. So you saw the awards boards here in our section. So it's, you know, we have a professional of the year, Mike Healy from Country Club of Maryland, but teachers, merchandisers, uh, you know, uh, people working on education for fellow members, people uh, helping for employment and uh, PGA members. Uh, you know, so it runs the gamut of just people doing uh, great things in our in our industry, and we want to recognize them. Yeah. Um, and so I'll post some pictures, but you've got kind of the, the history of all the award winners yeah. you know, on these plaques throughout the office. Um, I, I, am, I am curious, is that, you know, how are they determined? Is, there, is, is, it, the, is it the MAPGA board kind of sits in a room like this and votes? Or uh, how, vote, it is in this room, but it's an awards <laughs> committee, so okay. it's a process. So we take nominations starting uh, usually in um, late July, early August. Uh, everybody who gets nominated, other than the amateur awards, uh, gets a notification and, and, a, and a form to fill out. What have I been doing in this particular area? They fill it out. It comes to our uh, awards committee, which is made up of last year's awards winners, plus the chapter presidents and the section officers. Uh, they kind of run it through a process, narrow it down a little bit, uh, and then we meet in this room and get down to the nitty-gritty. And, the, the you know, it's the same thing every awards committee has ever said. A lot of great applicants to pick from. It's mm -hmm. a very hard decision, but you got to make a decision. And, you know, predicting how the decision goes based on one factor or another is impossible. Yeah. I've never been able to do it. Uh, so I, I don't have a vote. I sit in a room, provide information. You know, what, what year was this person a member? How long they've been at this club? You mm -hmm. know, all that type of stuff. Um, so there's, you know, it's, it's a nomination process and a selection process is probably the easiest yeah. way to say it. Uh, well, I'm, I'm really excited and honored that, uh, that, that I get to be a part of it this year. Really pumped and excited for, for the banquet. Yeah. I, I've been following the, the Mid-Atlantic PGA on, on social media, and you guys have yeah. been promoting it. Is this unusual? You're, you're, this year you're kind of like it's a, a, a new super, a super meeting? Yes, that's the way we're calling it. So <laughs> traditionally, uh, we have a meeting. Uh, in early March, and then a couple weeks later, we have the banquet, and then we have a teaching summit somewhere else in the year. It had, had been in the end of the year, November time frame. And for most of our members, you got to remember, Maryland, Virginia, D.C., uh, to us seems not that big, but it's a big section geographically. My members in Virginia Beach, who I'm going to see tomorrow, are three hours away. My members in Roanoke are almost four hours away. Ocean City's three and a half hours away. Frederick's, you know, probably three, two and a half, three mm -hmm. hours away. Uh, so it's a long drive, and, and uh, for any one of those uh, assignments, it's a, it might be a three-hour drive for a three-hour either meeting or banquet, and then turn around and go home. And so we're trying to figure out a way to make it easier for our professionals. And while it's probably more expensive, what we're hoping is they come in for a weekend. This is what the Carolinas PGA has done successfully in their mm -hmm. section. Uh, we have the Hall of Fame banquet Sunday night, the meeting Monday morning, our teaching summit Monday afternoon and Tuesday. And we have a little visit social event at Top Golf on Monday night. So oh, nice. they kind of one-stop shop. You know, one, it's partly continuing education, which we discussed earlier. Mm -hmm. But it's just an opportunity for those that are a little bit farther away to be able to participate and not feel like they spend the whole day in the car to do so. Yeah, no, that makes all the sense in the world. Yeah. Um, First year, though, so we'll, we don't know how it's going to go. So yeah. far, the numbers are okay. But, you know, hopefully some of our members will listen to this and they'll go, I want to go to that. Very cool. Um, all right, so before we get out of here, a couple of questions that are less, you know, just about specifically the Mid-Atlantic PGA. Right. Uh, first of all, let's go back to the golf show last week. I'm just kind of yep. curious. Um, last week uh, in Orlando, we already mentioned that we were yep. both at the PGA show uh, yep. this year, which has been going on for, I don't, I don't know how many decades it's been going on, but, but the, last year they didn't have it due to COVID. Yep. And this year, all the talk about the PGA show was all of the big OEMs, yep. Titleist, 
TaylorMade, Callaway, Ping, none of them were coming right. for a, a couple different reasons. One of them was, you know, is, is it really worth it, especially since there's such a backlog, backlog in, in getting clubs, right. you know, yep. in, to, to, into people's hands. But also a lot of the orders maybe, you know, there, there's a lot of questions sure. if, if whether or not they'll ever come back right. because just the way that the whole process works. I'm curious from your perspective and, and, and what you need to be doing down there, just your perspective on the show. How was it this year? Everybody was talking. I was so much smaller. I've only yep. been like three times, yeah. so I still had a blast. Yeah, but. so it, it, it was smaller. About two thirds of the number of PJ members. So there's about five thousand PJ members. Usually seventy five hundred. Okay. Uh, about sixty or seventy percent of the companies were there, but obviously when the big ones aren't there, there's a big square footage that you're mm -hmm. missing, right? The the big money people. And and to your point, the big OEMs. Most of them said can't go mainly because we haven't even brought our employees back to the office yet. There's no way I'm going to ask them to go to Orlando and be in front of a bunch of people, right? Uh, so that was one factor. And mm -hmm. almost all of them, I think all of them, have said, we'll be there next year. We're, we're not coming back oh, this year, but that. we're going to be, yeah, they did say that. That's, that's the word we got okay. through, through, uh, through the people running the show. Uh, so that's a good thing. Um, so, yeah, it, it, was, it was a lot easier to walk around the, the, the hallways this year yeah. uh, because there weren't as many people. Uh, so for me, that was a little better because I'm trying to meet with sponsors, as we indicated, they're trying to sell to our pros, and I'm saying, hey, I'm not buying anything. I want you to buy something for me. So that's always awkward for mm -hmm. that show. And actually, what I found out, actually, before we got there, is traditionally, if I wanted to talk to, let's say, Titleist or TaylorMade or Callaway uh, about a sponsorship, I would generally have to meet with a regional manager and, okay, well, you'll, you'll meet with them at the show. Mm -hmm. you know. Well, now we're all good at Zoom and, and, and those kinds of things. Now I'm meeting with regional managers when I want to, mm -hmm. before I get to the show, because I can, I can just Zoom with them and talk to them about potential sponsorships. So that moved a lot of our work up, which we wanted, because mm -hmm. you know it'd be, it's much better to go down to the show knowing a little bit about who's gonna be back in renewals and, yeah. and who you're gonna talk to. So that, from my, that perspective, and that's not relation to the size of the show, but just that Zoom came into our lives yeah. and we're able to do that. So anyway, back to your question. Smaller, easier to get around. Yeah, it wasn't as good, it wasn't as big a family reunion as it uh -huh. usually is uh, for PJ members, but I think it will be next year. I think most, mo a lot of pros, they might not write business down there anymore, uh -huh. uh, but they're checking out what's new. Uh, they're getting away to play golf. Some of them will play golf in uh -huh. Orlando while they're down there. Um, so I don't think it's going away. Um, yeah. Uh, and, and the small companies have to. That's the only way they can market to these to the members. Sure. The big companies probably, like you said, don't have to. And they are. You know, I heard story after story of uh, you know big uh, container ships that when they're losing containers off the top of the ships, and you know a year's worth of clubheads fall to the bottom of the ocean. That those types of stories. So that is a complicating factor yeah. this year. Yeah, I, 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 I haven't heard, heard those stories. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like I, I, I don't want to say which company because I don't know for sure which company it is, but right. literally a year's worth of club heads oh my God. fell off a container ship because, because of all the problems with transportation, sure. they're loading more and more containers on each ship, which means mm -hmm. they're stacked higher and higher. Mm -hmm. And when the waves get going, something breaks. And, and so some, one of the companies lost an entire year's worth of club heads. Oh my God, I can heads. only imagine how much revenue that is. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I found it, I mean, sometimes smaller is better. You know, I, 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 you know, I would imagine there's uh, certain folks going down there that really don't have business with the big OEMs. Right. So it's you know no no skin off the back that they aren't they aren't. Yeah, there. I would say most of our. I mean, those big OEMs have big sales rep forces, right? Sure. So they've been out, and, and you know the, the the timing of it all. 
like buying for spring, they're not buying in January for spring. They're buying in January, probably looking at the fall. Mm -hmm. So they've already bought their spring, you know, what they call it their spring run in October, November. Uh, so to your point, yeah, the, the big ones probably weren't writing as much business. It was just being down there for their staff and for their, you know, their yeah. relationships and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. I also just, I, I had a list of people that I, I kind of knew were going or maybe I saw earlier in the show, like mm -hmm. I, I like to have a conversation with them. Yeah. And because of like the, the, the corridors weren't so packed, it was very easy to just run into people and start conversations yeah. and meet people. So I, I, yeah. I, I loved it. I had a great time. Um, our la last topic, we'll get you out of here. I'm just kind of curious. Uh, it's, you know, 20, 2022, you know, uh, the silver lining, it's come up in every single one of these podcasts that, you yeah. know, the, the silver lining with the booming. pandemic, the yeah. golf, golf is booming. I'm just kind of curious. Can you talk about, you know, how does, how does that affect the, the, the Middle Atlantic PGA? Are you starting to see more people come through the PGA program than before? You know, you know everybody knows that golf rounds are up and amateurs right. are up. But, you know, is that, how does that trickle down to the Mid-Atlantic PGA? Well, yeah, so um, it is exactly right. You know, it's an unfortunate cause for what, what has happened. But, you know, golf is a safe outdoor sport. Uh, it's very family-oriented. So the, so the game has grown in terms of number of rounds, uh, number of people joining clubs. So that's all, you know, rising tide, you know, raises all boats type of good news. Uh, one thing that has probably led to that's probably unseen is that most of our clubs did not grow their staffs, right? So same number of staff when you got 10,000 more rounds than you usually do, uh, more hours, more burnout is what I'm getting mm. at. You know, so, you know, people just, you know, and, and w our clubs traditionally in November, December were very light, not much action. Well, that has not stopped. I mean, it's basically... You know, January, it finally got cold and we got snow on the ground. But November, December, the, our clubs were having rounds every day, public courses, private courses. So you couldn't, there was no break yeah. for our PGA professionals. So that's certainly a concern of mine, right? Yeah. I have 1,100 PGA professionals that have been working just uh, harder than they ever have, longer than they ever have. Hopefully their compensation increased. I don't know that to be true. I'm hoping that. Have, have you heard of stories of the burnout turning into leaving their position? Yes. Really? Yes getting out of the business or getting a different job where they're not basically, you know, unfortunately the uh, environment that has existed for a long time is that PGA professionals work six days a week. The only day off is Monday. And it's very hard to attract people to this business when we're going to tell you, hey, you're going to work long hours and you're going to work every weekend and holiday. You get a day off on Monday, but all your friends are at work on mm -hmm. those days, right? So we're having a conversation. It's really just starting conversation at the club level, at the facility level, at the management level, that we need to rethink this if we want to continue to grow our our staff, our, our you know the people working in this industry, because it just while people love to go play golf, it's not that attractive if you're if you're working every every hour. So one one of the things that I'm kind of curious about because um, is you know the future and technology and. You know, I, I'm, on, I'm on Instagram, I'm on all these things, and these, you know, there's, so you, you can get golf lessons from right. whether they're PGA or not, right. you know, from people that have huge followings, they, they could be on yep. their opposite side of the country, opposite right. of the world. Um, is, I guess I, I've kind of a two-part question, but like one, like how much of, the, how much that, of that is a, a threat, or is it a threat to the, the, the PGA professional industry. If well, you I mean, I, I think there's plenty of PGA professionals doing that as well. So sure. I, I don't necessarily see that as, as a threat. Um, you know, I don't think anything's going to replace, you know, a, a pro teaching somebody and watching their ball flight and being right there to correct it. 
Some people do like, you know, the virtual setup where they might send a video to somebody and have them send something back that says, here's what you should work on. Yeah. Uh, but it's, you know, it's certainly not going to be prevalent enough to, to wipe out the in-person lesson and, you know, in-person consultation about what club you should buy or what shirt you want to look at in the, in the pro shop or whatever. Yeah. Um, so I don't see it as a threat, but I, I do think it's an opportunity for many PGA professionals to do the same. Yeah. You know, I, I, I know I'm biased, but I know the PGA professional is trained. Mm -hmm. They go through with the school we just described earlier. Some guy on the internet, I don't know his training. Yeah. You know, maybe he's just a good player, and that's could be good enough for some people. But I know for a fact that the PGA professional is trained because of the schools they go through, and that's they work hard to earn those initials, PGA after their name. Do you think the average weekend hacker like myself has a full uh, comprehension of that? Though? No, no, absolutely not. Do you think that gap needs to be closed? Yeah, I think yeah. so. I mean, there's still there's still uh, many weekend golfers who think our guys uh, are only there during the weekend. They go play on tour on the weekend. Yeah, you know, right. and it's you know, yeah. I've had a number of people ask me, "Do you know Tiger Woods?" I mean, I know who he is. Do you? I've met him, <laughs> but he has no idea who I am. You know, I mean, I'm just some Joe. Right, right, right. You know, actually, I worked the uh, the Congressional U.S. Open, and that was '97. Mm -hmm. And Ernie Els. Uh, yeah, I, I worked as a uh, I volunteered for NBC as a walking scorer, and I was with Tiger's group oh, really? cool. one of the days. So that was pretty cool. I mean, I was closer than you yeah. and I are right now to him, but you know, he's got no idea who I am. Yeah. Uh, well, and in a positive note, I, I will say that you know, to, to your point, where the PGA professionals themselves. Uh, there's an opportunity to, to, to utilize that technology. Right. Uh, I'll, I'll name a few that I saw at the show that sure. from this section I think do a tremendous job at that. Um, first, a few ladies. One I had on the show, Erica Larkin, yep. tremendous job. Yep. Um, another who I haven't met, and I tried to meet her at the show, but she was you run around busy people, um, and I might pronounce her name wrong, Trillium Rose yep. at Woodmont. Rose. She does yep. a tremendous job. Kathy Kim, yep. who I had a nice conversation with down there, does a tremendous job out at 1757. And another gentleman who we talked about Gavin. walking away, who, yep. who won one of the, the youth development award, yep. um, is it Gavin, Gavin Parker? Parker? He's yep. out of Richmond. Correct. He's going to be a star. Like he, yep. he, he, was, he was on camera every two seconds down at the PGA show. Yeah, yeah. So we, I mean, I, we have an amazing group of members, and you mentioned four of them, and there's probably you know way more than that. I'm sure. Uh, but they're but they're particularly uh, you know grabbed hold of social media and using that as a platform to get their message across, to get their instruction across, mm -hmm. uh, to get their personality across uh, yeah. in, in all those cases. So they're doing a great job. Uh, yeah, and I, 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 we, I'm very proud of our membership. We have great membership. We've got good players, we've got good teachers, we've got good merchandisers, good overall professionals. We run the gamut and, um, you know, the, those particular doing a great yeah. job on social media, I agree. Yeah. Very cool. Well, listen, this has been great. Uh, congratulations on your, your, your long and, and successful tenure here as the executive director of the Mid-Atlantic yeah, PGA. My pleasure. Uh, thanks again uh, for, for the award that I'm excited about at the end of the month and, yeah. and coming out to the bank. Thanks for so. the check clearing. I appreciate yeah. that. <laughs> They're going to believe that. That, that is you, a joke. If you keep saying that. Yeah, that is a joke. <laughs> yeah. uh, no, but thank you very much for coming to the podcast. It's been great. Pleasure yeah. to meet you. Yeah. Thank you, John. My pleasure. I don't have a good golf game. But I don't really care. I'm a, I'm a regular dude living in D.C., and I want to know about D.C.-centric golf stuff. If you can tell me something that I don't already know, then that is great for me. I don't want the regular stuff. I want exciting stuff. I want different stuff. I want stuff I can't hear elsewhere. But I want it to be about D.C. golf.